titled The Triumph of Life. Thank you, Matthew. Good afternoon. I would like to just echo the same thoughts as Matt just presented us with, which is 100 some, uh, something I 100% agree with, and I think most all of us do here today. It is Jesus Christ and Him alone that has brought us here. And on that vein, as he introduced my title, which is The Triumph of Life, I want to talk real quick about the opposite of what life is. And we all have heard the saying, maybe you haven't, but most of us probably have, that there's this saying that goes on in our culture that there are two sure things in life, death and taxes. And I know it's really tragic. Taxes, right? But I want to look at that idea of death. And you might be thinking, well, triumph of life, I mean, isn't that the opposite of death? Well, that's one of the reasons we're here. Let's think about this idea of death. Death is something that hurts. Death is something that stings. Every single one of us in this room, every single human being, in this entire world has been affected by this great enemy of ours, death. We live in this world, we're born, we're born into families, we live our life, and as God has pronounced that judgment on humanity from almost the very beginning, as dust we have come from, as dust we will return. It's a judgment that has been pronounced on humanity from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. But the thing about death is it just doesn't just hurt us as the individual that dies. It hurts us when we lose loved ones through this great enemy that stings. Death is a separation. It's a separation from life. And even if we are still living, death is a separation from the ones that we have come to love so deeply. And it's interesting because we live as human beings and it's almost as if that God has programmed our bodies to do every single thing it can to fight against death. The vital organs are protected and have mechanisms in which it does everything it can to protect the things that we need the most to sustain ourselves. Death is something that has made humanity miserable or the conception of human beings because the sting that it brings. And that's why Jesus Christ is so important. Because that pronouncement that has been given to all humanity through him has been repealed. You know, there is no other chapter in the Bible that talks about the resurrection more than 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. And that's what we're going to go to and we're going to look at something today. And we're going to get to the idea of unleavened bread because it ties completely into what this day and what this feast means. But let's go to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. I just want to look at something. 
You see, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the resurrection. It talks about the resurrection of Jesus. It talks about how that resurrection makes it possible for me and you, for humanity, to defeat, to be victorious over that enemy, death. This is a church, and looking at some background information, that was having some problems. We've read 1 Corinthians. You've probably heard of some of the issues. They had things going on of the likes of people, Christians, believers, taking each other to secular courts. They were suing each other. We had individuals that were taking their, their father's wives as their own and dishonoring their father. We have individuals in here that were claiming as a badge of honor that, oh, I was baptized by Paul, or I was baptized by Apollos, or I was baptized by this person, this is who I follow, as if it somehow was better if they were baptized by this person than as opposed to someone else. This was a church with problems. But in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, Paul addresses one particular issue, and that is the issue of the resurrection. It is the issue that Christianity hinges upon. He is even in this chapter asking the question, which implies that some people were going around and saying that Jesus never even rose, or he didn't rise bodily, or he rose this way, or there's no such thing as resurrection from the dead. And Paul, in the verse 54, says this, breaking in the context that surrounds Paul's discussion on how the dead will be raised and living and transformed. He says this in verse 54. He says, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Look at what Paul just quotes here. He's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about the specifics. He's got theology in here. He's got different ideas that are just practical and ensuring people that Jesus, yes, he rose from the dead. Yes, there is evidence for this. Yes, there are witnesses. But he goes in here and he quotes from Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, and he couples it with another passage in the Old Testament, Hosea the 13th chapter, verse 14, and says, death is swallowed up in victory. And he asks this question, O oh, death, where is your sting? And we know that it stings. It does. It stings. There's an interesting thing by quoting this passage. You see, in Isaiah, as well as all the other Old Testament books, you're in the land of Canaan that this stuff is being written. And there's this old Canaanite mythology in, in, in that culture and that society that believed that the grave, that death was like a monster, was like an entity that swallowed its enemies, its prey. Do you see what Paul is doing here? Paul is turning this analogy upside down. Right here, the swallower, death, who preys on all living and lies in wait for all living, has become the final victim of its own sting. 
That is powerful. This victory, we know, is both present and futuristic. Just like we have put out all the old leaven out of our houses, out of our lives, or we have attempted to do so, we know we still live in a corruptible body. We still know that this has not taken place in terms of us putting on immortality. We still know that we have to live in this world. We still know that ultimately we will all die. That is, if Jesus doesn't return before then. But, through this event in history, this monumental event in history, Jesus has set the path for the repealing of that judgment that has been placed upon all humanity. From the days of Adam and Eve, mankind, as was mentioned, has been rendered in judgment that is death. And we all know ultimately death means separation from God. But as Paul says here in verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in light of this, he leaves us with three imperatives or three exhortations and a promise. He says to be steadfast based upon this reality, to be immovable based upon this reality, and to always be about God's work. And the promise is, is that based upon these things, know this, that your labor is not in vain. Let's think about the introduction to that word labor. This is the Greek word kupos, which essentially has many different meanings, but generally it means someone who actually physically exerts themselves. That they are in labor and doing some sort of work to the point of exhaustion. And this Christian life is labor. God has given us a path that's not easy. But he has given us a path where all of us must take up our cross and go forward on a daily basis. Paul right here is referring to the work that God has assigned us to in this life, which is to proclaim the kingdom of God to this world and our actions and our thoughts and our lifestyles and to the work that God is doing in our lives, which is a continuous transformation. It's not a one-time thing, but we, as we live every day, are continually being transformed into the image of that one that has set that path before us, Jesus Christ. And we know that this work is not easy. Being a Christian is not easy. Today, we begin the Days of Unleavened Bread, and we review the symbols that this day and this feast represents. And we know the story, and we began it starting two days ago with the Passover and understanding the symbols that we were taking in, the bread and the wine, and, and proclaiming Jesus Christ's death. And last night we came here and we assembled. Or you might have done it on your own somewhere else. We observed what was known as the night to be much observed, a night of watching. A night of watching and observing and staying and celebrating and thinking about the wonders that God has performed. The wonders that God has performed. We know this life is not easy. It is a constant battle. We have put out the old leaven. 
This same epistle, Paul says, put out the old leaven of wickedness and malice. And that's what we're striving to do. But I want us to be challenged by Paul right here. When he says to be steadfast, to be immovable, to always be about God's work. And to remember that our labor is not in vain. I'm going to say something that I know is grammatically incorrect. But the word Christian is not a noun, it's a verb. It's grammatically incorrect, but it's conceptually true. The word Christian is not a noun, it's a verb. The word Christian refers to a follower of Christ. The word following implies action. Being a Christian also implies war, but it implies battle. A battle or a war against every inclination of hate. Every inclination in our hearts to hate. Every inclination against prejudice. Every inclination against being racist. Every inclination against being unkind. Every inclination of sin. Every inclination that falls short of the glory of God. Every inclination, every single thing we do that could possibly not bring glory to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and our Father. It's a war. It's a battle. This week, as we throw out that old leaven, that leaven of malice and weakness, I want us to reflect on these things. As we review the truth, the truth of the resurrection that has repealed the judgment on humanity through Jesus Christ's resurrection, I want us to think to ourselves and to be challenged to move towards God's work, to not be moved from God's work, to understand that our labor is not in vain. You know, the world, it'll do all kinds of things to tell you, man, that's what you do, that's what you, you, you abstain from those things, or you don't do this, or you don't do that. Man, you're missing out on so much. And the world will do everything it can to show you that, that that's glorious out there, that's marvelous. Those things, I mean, don't you want to come and, and join in and do these things? But as Jesus says in Mark the 8th chapter, verse 36, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? It might seem like foolishness to this world, but we know in the end, this world, all of those things that it has to offer will come to nothing. So as we think about these things and we move into this feast of unleavened bread, let us be happy, let us rejoice for the greatest judgment upon humanity has been repealed through Jesus Christ our Savior and Him raised. Him raised. And because we know this, because this is a reality, it's not something that's metaphorical, it's not something that's just spiritual, it's something that physically happened and took place. Because it's a reality, and because that path has been shown to us and it has been paid for us to follow in His footsteps as we are His creatures being made and renewed in His image, because we know these things, let us move forward in this feast. And always be thinking about the work of the Lord and how it will not go in vain. Because of these reasons. For in Christ, life has triumphed over death. For in Christ, sin has been overcome. And for in Christ, to quote from the song that's getting ready to be sung by Andrew Peterson, named, The shadows were shot through with life.